This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Queen Elizabeth was a life well lived, a promise with destiny kept, and she is mourned most deeply in her passing. Stars come and go, but Queen Elizabeth persisted as perhaps the world's biggest celebrity for over 70 years. She was the glue that held the Commonwealth together. Just last Tuesday, the Queen met with England's new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, and by Thursday she was dead, and Charles was King. As the Queen herself did with such unswerving devotion, I too now solemnly pledge myself, throughout the remaining time God grants me, to uphold the constitutional principles at the heart of our nation. And wherever you may live in the United Kingdom, or in the realms and territories across the world. And whatever may be your background or beliefs, I shall endeavor to serve you with loyalty, respect, and love, as I have throughout my life. Like the United States, England is having economic woes, but there's a much, much worse than ours. The pound has plummeted. The cost of living has never been higher. Inflation is in the double digits and the price of utilities is expected to go up as much as 80% this coming winter. Thanks, of course, in large part to the war in Ukraine and Putin fucking all of Europe out of oil. And into this void steps two new leaders with opposing points of view. Truce, an arch-conservative, and Charles, a liberal with a lifelong desire to save the planet. I mean, maybe not a love match. Earlier this week, at 96, she remained determined to carry out her duties as she appointed me as her 15th Prime Minister. Throughout her life, she's visited more than 100 countries and she has touched the lives of millions around the world. As King, Charles is supposed to look good and keep his mouth shut. Like he has no political opinions. Well, we'll see how that goes. I mean, Charles is old, in his 70s. Truce is only 49, but she's old school. Like Margaret Thatcher, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, old school. Before she became prime minister, she was England's foreign secretary. She stood by Boris Johnson even when 50 of her conservative colleagues walked. Can I say to the House, there will be no more personal statements today. The Conservative Party is as divided as ours, maybe even more. But Truce ran on a magical tax cut platform and presented herself as an economic fairy godmother who could get England out of financial freefall. I suppose that depends on whose taxes she's cutting. But take it from the United States, when you cut taxes on the rich, everyone else pays. Twelve years of conservative rule has taken us from fifth richest nation on the planet to being downgraded to an emerging market economy. Twelve years of Tory rule and this winter our schools will have to choose between heating classrooms or paying for teachers. Hospitals will have to choose between heating wards and performing life-saving surgery. And hundreds of thousands of households will have to choose between food and heating. The tabloid refers to truth as a born-again Brexiteer because she's a convert who once rejected the idea and has now become a hardliner. And apparently, she likes pushing around the European Union. 
Her profile reads like a list of MAGA's greatest hits. Liz loves culture wars, free markets, deregulation, and hates all things woke. I mean, take that, libtards. And I've never seen anyone so uncomfortable in her own skin, so apparently ill at ease with herself. Every gesture, every thing she says seems to be mannered and staged. So the real Liz Truss, you know, it's very hard to discern that person behind the person who's clearly practiced her every move in the mirror. At present, she is only about a 13% approval rating. I mean, 13%. But she's the fourth prime minister in six years, so no one is really expecting her to stick around. But Charles is here to stay. Excuse me, King Charles. Maybe he should remind Prime Minister Truce that if the country had only just invested in clean energy and fossil fuel alternatives, like he's been begging them to do for years, they might not be in an energy crisis now, with Russia cutting off their supplies. And did I mention that winter is coming? It just feels like everyone I meet looks like they want to shut up shop and move to a country with better infrastructure, less child hunger, and more trustworthy leaders. Like North Korea or something. In any case, it's a new day for England, but the same old bullshit here in the United States. And this week has been a non-stop shit show for the Trump crime syndicate. Right now, former president is struggling, struggling mightily to find a good lawyer because his current legal team consists of a Florida insurance lawyer who's never had a federal case, a former host at far-right One American News, and a past general counsel for a parking garage company. Please, Lord, I don't ask for much, but please let this go to trial. <laughs> A federal grand jury in D.C. is examining one of the former president's main political fundraising schemes, the Save America PAC. This is just part of a larger criminal investigation into the Capitol attacks on January 6th. But federal prosecutors issued subpoenas to former Trump officials, advisors, and campaign aides looking for information related to the $100 million that the PAC has racked up in contributions since 2020. A Trump associate has been arrested. What? I know, right? It's like, how many more are left? It feels like everyone around Trump has been put in cuffs. His CFO, his lawyer, his campaign manager, his other campaign manager, his campaign manager after that, his deputy campaign manager, his fundraisers, his advisors, basically every single person Donald Trump has ever met. Investigators want to know how the money was used and if Trump and the Save America PAC defrauded people out of money by claiming that the 2020 election was stolen even though they knew that it was not. I can save the investigators a lot of time. Yes, Donald and his cronies stole the fucking cash. What else do you think? And they spent it on stupid shit, like giving Kimberly Gargoyle 60 grand to say five words before Donald gave his pep talk at the Ellipse on January 6th. We love her. She's been such a warrior. She's fought so hard. Take it away, Kimberly. Well, good morning, DC, and good morning, America! But this is just one avenue of DOJ's investigation into the January 6th insurrection, which is already the largest investigation in the department's history. It has expanded beyond the rioters, and they are now going after Trump, his coup-plotting pals, the fake fucking electors, and anyone else involved in the grift. 
In the words of Zoe Lofgren of the January 6th committee, the big lie was also a big ripoff. Follow up on the Mar-a-Lardo search and seizure case, on Thursday, perhaps the worst judge in America, Judge Eileen Cannon, was bitch slapped by the DOJ as they are now appealing her decision to bring in a special master that could hold up the investigation indefinitely. They've accused the judge of putting U.S. national security at risk, and prosecutors argued that the criminal probe could not be decoupled from the intelligence community's review of the stolen documents. The FBI is investigating potential violations of the Espionage Act, criminal mishandling of government documents, and obstruction of justice. And they don't have time for Judge Cannon's fucking ridiculous efforts to protect Trump. Prosecutors told Cannon that if she didn't grant their request to suspend parts of her ruling by September 15th, they'd seek the intervention of the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. In other words, they will go over her head, seek a stay in the case, and probably hit her with judicial malpractice. In court proceedings, it is common for all deadlines to be imposed on the lawyers by the judge in the case. But today, Justice Department lawyers imposed a deadline on the judge in this case. Now, you can watch courtroom proceedings for a very long time and not see lawyers tell a judge, if you don't do what we are telling you to do, within a week, we are going over your head. Follow up on the Bannon indictment. Bannon was in Manhattan court Thursday, accused of defrauding Americans who believed they were contributing to the building of the southern border wall. This morning, longtime Trump advisor Steve Bannon facing a new criminal indictment as he turns himself into authorities here in New York, accused of siphoning money from the group called We Build the Wall, an online campaign to build a section of President Trump's border wall that raised $25 million. The founders claiming that every penny would go to construction, promising those who donated a brick in the wall with their name on it. Prosecutors say instead, Bannon and his associates lined their pockets with large sums of that money. The court claims that Bannon played an integral role in an organization known as We Build the Wall, Inc. Bannon and several others, including a wounded Iraq war vet, posed as patriots just trying to make Trump's most audacious campaign promise come true. The scam netted said patriots millions of dollars, but none of it went to the wall. Trump pardoned Bannon of the same crime before he went to trial in a federal court, but the pardon did not bar a state indictment. Alvin Bragg has charged Bannon with two felony counts of money laundering, two felony counts of conspiracy, and one felony count of a scheme to defraud, and Bannon could face a maximum sentence of 5 to 15 years on the most serious charge. Now, Bannon is pled, of course, not guilty. I mean, seriously. A reporter outside the courthouse after the hearing said, Steve seemed unsteady on his feet and perhaps three shirts to the wind. This is what happens in the last days of a dying regime. They will never shut me up, not to kill me first. And I have not yet begun to fight. A U.S. District Court judge in Florida has thrown out Trump's lawsuit against, I mean, wait for it, yep, Hillary Clinton. The judge claims that the former president is seeking to flaunt a 200-page political manifesto outlining his grievances against those that have opposed him. 
Trump suit alleged that Hillary Clinton, her campaign, the DNC, former FBI director James Comey, and others maliciously conspired to weave a false narrative, accusing him of colluding with Russia to sabotage the 2016 election. The judge determined that the problem with Trump's lawsuit was basically everything, but that it didn't seek any kind of settlement or redress. Trump just wanted a bitch in the form of a lawsuit. Trump's latest victim, I mean lawyer Alina Haba, said in a statement, we will immediately move to appeal this decision. Well, here's the real big fucking problem. He actually won 2016. And now for the main event. We welcome back to our show, our friend and frequent guest, David Korn, the veteran Washington journalist, bureau chief of Mother Jones, and on-air analyst for MSNBC. Korn co-authored with Michael Isakoff, Russian Roulette, the inside story of Putin's war on America and the election of Donald Trump. He's also the author of three New York Times best-selling books, as was the longtime Washington editor of The Nation. Check out his twice-weekly newsletter, Our Land, that covers the news of the day and delivers his no-bullshit analysis on everything from DC politics to his entertainment recommendations. Korn has been published in too many newspapers and magazines for me to name here, but he has a new book coming out next week entitled American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy that promises to be an excellent read, and you can pre-order it now on Amazon. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so David, Judge Eileen Cannon will never live down the absurdity of her ruling in the Trump Maralardo case. Her decision to give Trump a special master was not really a surprise to many, but the temporary injunction restraining the government from review or use of the item seized from Mar-a-Lago for criminal investigative purposes is legitimately fucking crazy. The perception is that Trump picked his judge and she did his bidding. Now, people are worried that he's going to get away with it, like he basically does everything else. What's your take on it? You know, that decision makes no sense if one starts with the premise that the records that he had in Mar-a-Lago, classified, top secret, and non-classified, were U.S. government property, which is what the law says, the Presidential Records Act. You know, any president who leaves, a CIA director who leaves his job, a Secretary of State who leaves his job, cannot just say, I'm taking these records with me and do what I want with them. You know, they go to the archives. If you need them for your memoirs, you get access to them and you negotiate what you can see and can't see. But it's not your property. It's as if he took a cabinet from the Oval Office or he took the resolute desk. Right. Hmm. And, you know, right. you, like you, you say, excuse me, we'd like it back. That's U.S. property. You took it. And if you don't give it back, we're sending you know, FBI people to get it for us, then you wouldn't have a special master review whether, you know, the desk. It's not your property. You don't get to have it. I do think, you know, she could have said, she could have said in her decision, this is an extraordinary case. It's an unprecedented case. 
The government seems to be within its rights, but we can have a quick review, you know, the special master. That doesn't mean any they can't move forward with the investigation. And we just be doubly sure that everything is fine here. But the idea that she gave credence to Trump's argument that executive privilege governed his possession of these records, that's what's crazy as well. That opens a tremendous can of worms. I think it means that the Justice Department really has to appeal it because that's the precedent that would be dangerous if it stands. And so, you know, we we go to the appeals court where uh, a majority of the judges have been appointed by Trump, but the argument and the legal reasoning is so, so nuts that I hope as a citizen that at least there, this all gets put to rest in the right way. There's just so much, David, here to unpack. Let's start with the premise that people are not fully aware of what the Presidential Records Act is, right? Known as PRA. And it's it's referred to as the Presidential Records Act of 1978, or if they're looking it up in um, in their legal library, it's 44 USC 2201 through 2209. And specifically, specifically, the Presidential Records Act governs the official records of presidents and vice presidents that were created or received after January 20th of 1981. And the Presidential Records Act changed. And this is the part that I don't understand about Judge Cannon. It changed the legal ownership of the official records of the president from private to public. And what it did is it established a new statutory structure under which presidents and subsequently the NARA must manage the records of their administration. Basically, what is it doing? It establishes the public owns all of the presidential records and defines the term presidential records. What Trump did here is he ignored the Presidential Records Act entirely. He determined that he is above the law, that the Presidential Records Act does not exist towards him. He took, they said, 11,000 Documents. He's into that number because it's like the same number of votes, basically, that he needed in order to win uh, what you call Georgia. So he takes these 11,000 documents, of which we know that at least about 200 or in that range, 184, were marked classified to top secret. And he takes them and he stores them at his fucking Fakakta Club in, in Palm Beach, Marilardo. For the sole purpose of what? And I have my theories and so on. But basically, the part that I think Judge Eileen Cannon misses, and this is where I really want you to go with it. When I was raided, when my law office was raided, the entire concept of a special master is supposed to be, in order to keep sacrosanct the attorney-client privilege, that some third party would review the documents to determine privilege in the first place. Now, Donald's not an attorney, so it wouldn't go in that direction where he was representing. It would be between him and his attorney, and the privilege does, of course, rest with the client. In this case, it would be 
President or former President Trump. So any communications that, for example, he may have had with Don McGahn could potentially be considered right um, privilege with Rudy Colludi Giuliani or Sidney Powell Kraken, right? Sidney the, the Kraken Powell. These could be. However, there's also something called the crime fraud exception rule. He stole the documents, right? There's a crime going on where you have nuclear secrets on documents, in documents, that are in possession of the former president in an unsecured location. Why does that not negate his entire theory on why a special master should have been even requested, let alone Judge Cannon's determination to grant him this special master, this special treatment. Yeah, I mean, from what we see of the listing of records, it wasn't as if there are memos there between him and Sidney Powell or Rudy Giuliani. And I would wonder even to a certain extent if it's communications between him and Don McGahn, the White House counsel, if that would be even covered by typical attorney-client privilege, since they were both government employees at the time. It's not a personal, you know, McCann represents the office of the presidency, not the president. You were a personal lawyer for Donald Trump. You represented Donald Trump's interest. Technically, McGahn's supposed to represent the interests of the office. Agreed. Right? Agreed. But, and but, what, but, what I, yeah, what I had said was, um, it could potentially, yeah, yeah, potentially yeah. be for review. But, but, but he's not even making the argument that there were that there were a lot of those type of documents there. If you have, you know, and and those documents are not typically classified top secret. You know, there. So you know, we saw the folders, we saw the listing from the DOJ. I see no reason why any of that would have to be reviewed. If and I go, I keep going back to this point that if. You know, uh, the judge could have been and could have been very narrow here. She could have said, if there are any documents that involve a lawyer, they will be reviewed by a, you know, by a special master. You know, tell me by tomorrow how many of these documents there are. Right. right. She could write and like, oh, there are 10. Okay, we will put those to one side and we will, you know, have someone deal with that, you know, and not worry about the other ones. Uh, but the, but she went much wider than that. And this legal reasoning of hers that he has, you know, the potential to make an executive privilege claim is is what's kind of bonkers. And there's never been a special master appointed for things that may fall under executive privilege for someone who doesn't have the right to make the claim. So there's a, there's a lot of bad reasoning and bad precedent here. I mean, ultimately, I think this will be sorted out and this will not be the end of the investigation. Um, and I do happen to think just politically that anything that draws this out is not good for the Republicans and Donald Trump. It just, you know, because every time he goes to court, his lawyers do something stupid, you know. Uh, I mean, they 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 keep changing the defense, the argument. They say something they shouldn't say. A judge says this filing doesn't make sense. 
you didn't do this correctly. And they just keep this thing going and going, but it keeps, it stays in the headlines when the Republicans ahead of the midterms would rather be talking about inflation and Joe Biden and other things. So I think ultimately, you know, this legal stunt will not help Trump legally and is not helping the Republicans overall. So, you know, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat worried, you know, for the precedent potential here, but I think ultimately these are not wins for Trump and the Trumpers. Yeah. I mean, it's very funny right after the special master determination was made by judge Cannon, his, um, parking lot lawyer, Alina Haba, goes on Hannity. And it's only on Fox that somebody as ridiculous like an Alina Haba will be given time to continue to make, as you just stated, these ridiculous and unfounded statements. She turns on, she goes, that they took everything they wanted to take. That's obviously evident. The injunction, which means that they have stopped all criminal investigations, was granted. First of all, that's not true. The injunction does not stop the investigation. The injunction was to prevent them from using it right going forward until the determination is made, which is a great win for the Trump team that is handling this matter. Right. Not her. Additionally, we received an approval to get a special master, which was exactly what I had hoped would happen. The DOJ, as you may recall, was opposing this. They didn't want it. And what the public had assumed was a delay was, in fact, that a judge mentioned this. The fact that DOJ was not willing to grant a special master when we requested it prior. I mean, again, these types of comments, first of all, they're based upon inaccuracies. And worse than that, what she's doing is she's muddying what's already a muddied water when she continues to talk about how there were no documents in these file folders marked top secret. Therefore, there was nothing ever in them. I mean, it's sort of like you you really have to scratch your head and turn around and ask yourself, you know, Where does she come up with this nonsense and why? But in furtherance of this, we found out on Tuesday that the stolen Mar-a-Lago documents included another country's nuclear secrets. Now, Trump knows that he broke the law, but during his speech Saturday in Pennsylvania, he went after the DOJ and the FBI with a vengeance. It's a risky strategy right, that he's doing. But I imagine he thinks that he can intimidate his way out of an indictment. I mean, other than hardcore Trump maggot fans, do you think that the public is buying another witch hunt bullshit act? Um, I don't think so. I think, and I don't think the public has bought those claims. I mean, they they certainly have helped um, with the Republicans and they've muddied the waters and has made, I think, good media coverage of his past scandals and controversies uh difficult for uh people to you know to to get a clear picture of but i think this one is pretty simple i I remember there was a great doonesbury cartoon during the watergate era when you know at one point I, i think it showed two members of the watergate committee listening to somebody's testimony i don't know if it was john dean or someone else and one congressman says to the other you know 
if he just knocked over a bank, then we really have him. Right. Yeah. And, you know, because, because Watergate was, for some people was complicated, was complicated and you had to sort of put the pieces together. I think this is one of these very clear examples of wrongdoing. I think that's why Merrick Garland and the Justice Department felt compelled to take what is indeed an unprecedented step to raid the home of a former president. Okay, first now, of all, wait, wait, David, but, let me stop you for a sec, because that's actually inaccurate. It is not his home. Now, he may choose right. to call it his residence. Right? residence. That's, where, that's okay. where he may have his pillow, right, and his dirty underwear yeah. and his diapers, but that is not his home. That is a social club. And that's the part that makes this entire scenario and what Merrick Garland did and the FBI raiding to take back these documents all the more important and necessary because you have a thousand plus people a week, if not more, going through that place. And you have unsecured top secret documents, including another country's nuclear secrets. So please continue. Yeah, you know, that's a fair point. If he had them, you know, in Bedminster or Trump Tower, it would still be wrong and a problem, and they need to get them back, right? Um, so, but, 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 they, I, you know, I think they took this unprecedented step because it was so clear. It wasn't there wasn't much gray area here. It doesn't belong to you. These are sensitive information. You can't have this. It could hurt national security. And, you know, we may never find out the details of the documents. In fact, in some ways, we shouldn't. But hearing recently that reported by the Washington Post that one of the documents had to do with the nuclear weapons plans of a foreign government, um, that's incredibly troubling. You know, are we talking about Israel, Iran? What is he doing with this document? We do know, and Mother Jones, you know, we've we broke a few stories on this a couple of years ago about people with connections to Chinese intelligence getting access to Mar-a-Lago and other news organizations have done the same, have done similar stories. Um, so you're right. This stuff is sitting there. And so when you ask to what degree this is going to register, the MAGA crowd will never be persuaded. They will. They believe the election was stolen. They believe he is a savior. They believe there's a deep state. They believe Barack Obama has spied on him. They believe Merrick Garland is in league with Lucifer, whatever it is. They will never be persuaded, no matter what evidence you give. He is right about shooting someone on Fifth Avenue. They will never be persuaded. But the point, I think, politically is there, you know, are still that's 20, 30 percent of the population, whatever, however you, you evaluate it, that for the rest of us to have a Justice Department you know, do a very an investigation of what seems to be a clear violation in possible crime um, is 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 important, and I think it's going to make the Republican Party have a harder time selling him again should he become the nominee. And I think you know, to a lot of Americans, this is something that's easy to understand, even easier than the phone call to Zelensky um, or doing nothing during the the riot on January 6th, and it's going to, you know, we see already in the polls shifting out of the midterms, I don't think it's entirely because of this, but I think this is a factor. I think this is just more damage to the brand for people who aren't in the cult. Look, I think that we as a people 
as Americans, I think we've just basically had enough of Captain Chaos and this nonsense on a daily basis. You know, it, it's not as if he was, wasn't given an opportunity to return documents. He already previously returned documents. I think it was like 11 or 12 boxes of documents. And so after that, they asked for any additional documents that was in his possession, to which the reply was, we have no more. We've given everything back to you. In fact, I believe it was a, an attorney. Uh, her last name is Bob. I forget her first name. She, I think, is the one who signed a document stating that there are no more documents in Mr. Trump's possession or at Mar-a-Lago or something to that extent. And we, of course, know that that's not true. So now you have the filing of a false affidavit, which, of course, is a 1001 violation. That in and of itself is a crime. So one of the things that I have been talking quite a bit on television and with the press about is the fact that what this does is it undermines the faith in the Department of Justice. Now, I, for one, don't have a lot of confidence and a lot of faith in the Department of Justice. I, I don't. And my, my book that's coming out in October um, called Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice Against His Critics, it really takes you through um, some individuals in government that gives reason and gives pause to have faith in the Department of Justice. But one thing I try to make clear is that I don't believe that everyone in the Department of Justice is corrupt. I believe that there are people, including Jeffrey Berman over at the Southern District of New York, that now is releasing his own book um, you know, about Donald Trump and Bill Barr contacting him to go against you know, critics and so on. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. But you even have an article that was written by Andrew Weissman, and, you know, Andrew Weissman, as you know, was a former lead prosecutor in the special counsel's office, um, as well as um, general counsel of the FBI. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that Weissman was involved in turning my case over um, that f failed because I was never in Prague and I never was involved with Russian compromise. He's the one that turned it over to Jeffrey Berman. So, you know, when he writes about Things like um, Judge Cannon, you know, which grants Trump, and he did it in an, an op-ed, uh, the request to appoint a special master to review the evidence seized from Mar-a-Lago by the FBI, is that it undermines the work of all other judges who have tried to adhere to their oath to administer justice without respect to persons and do equal right to the poor and to the rich and to faithfully and impartially discharge and perform all the duties incumbent if, of their office. Well, he had a duty as well. If he knew I was never in Prague, if he knew I had no dealings with Russian compromise and on behalf of Paul Manafort or anybody else never traveled anywhere with 10 million in cash to pay people off, shouldn't he have an obligation to have come forth with that? You see, that's the problem. The guys who are out there speaking about why the government shouldn't be doing what they're doing, are the same people that were doing it before, just under a different administration. And that's one of the big problems that we have. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, you know, the Weissman 
book, which which I haven't read yet, but there were stories that have come out on it. Uh, I mean, the Berman book, excuse me, um, is 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 interesting in that it it shows that even people inside the Trump Justice Department who were, you know, obviously trying to help Trump in certain ways wouldn't only go so far. Like they just, you know, they couldn't, you know, Berman, who was on the transition team um, for the Trump administration, uh, you know, had what he thought was a line and they were trying to push him over that line. And, you know, the department itself was certainly institutionally allied with, with Trump. Um, it's, you know, your case is just, you know, particularly fascinating in the sense that they leaned on, you know, the prosecutors in your case to extract Trump from the filings, the you know, individual one. And your case has always struck me as one of these, you know, you know, classic, you know, cases of of, of quasi injustice when the guy who did the deed gets nabbed, but the guy who put up the money, asked him to do it, you know, encouraged him to do it, goes off scot-free. I mean, it's a conspiracy, and they don't go after the guy who was the number person, number one person in the conspiracy, but who the conspiracy, you know, was you know, who was the beneficiary of the conspiracy, right? And so um they already didn't do what they should have, and yet. Um, here was Barr and the and the you know uh, or the Justice Department trying really hard to make it even less about Trump, your case, than it was when it was entirely about Trump. So um, I know that doesn't give you back any time and doesn't help you, but hopefully it shows the world that you know it, when it comes to being a fall guy, they really made you the fall guy, right? Yeah, yes, except this book, I think, actually opens up, and I'm reviewing it right now, a liability on Jeffrey Berman that we may include him now in my Bivens actions uh, that we have pending against the United States government, Bill Barr, the DOJ, and a whole slew of other people. And why? Because in his own words, he turns around and he talks about how um, Trump attempted to fire him and get him to resign because he refused the requests, as you, you know, as you stated, um, that he was the title of holding the line uh, and not um, adhering to what Trump and Bill Barr wanted him to do, which was to erase Trump from any of the uh, crimes that I pled guilty to, right? Without acknowledging the fact that I pled guilty to them because they threatened my wife with an 85-page indictment that was going to put her in prison too for, for what? For campaign finance violations that she had no knowledge of and nothing to do with? Don't you believe that Jeffrey Berman, first of all, I think he should lose his license to practice law. And I think that um, we may be bringing him into the Bivens claim on the grounds that he had an obligation to come forward when he resigned, ultimately. Did you ever hear from him that he resigned because Trump wanted him to do things that were illegal, right? Or uh, that, no, they're illegal. I mean, what am I fucking yeah. playing, trying to play words? They're fucking illegal. Yeah. And instead of him coming out and saying it at the time, 
Instead of doing what he was obligated to do, especially as the head of the Southern District of New York, and most of them are fucking corrupt as hell, right? Especially the ones that worked on my case, like this Nick Roos and Tom McKay and Andrea Griswold and Tatiana Martin, all of them. As far as I'm concerned, he should have come forward, gone to the FBI and said, I'm being extorted by the president and the attorney general, not put well, it out in a book. Well, what That's the well, obligation yeah. that I think he had. Well, what you're talking about, too, is, you know, there's a there's a sort of it's a bigger thing. Uh, you know, I, I agree that he saw improper activity in Trump's Justice Department. He should have blown the whistle on it. And not just you know, you know praise himself later in a book for resisting. Uh, you know, I can't speak to the to the other prosecutors you named, but the bigger thing here is that time and time again, we see people who served in the Trump administration, who you know years after the fact come out and say, you know, uh, I quit because. Trump was a maniac or Trump wanted me to do this illegal thing or Trump proposed that illegal thing. I mean, you know, they, you know, what, you know, Mattis to a degree, you know, Kelly, uh, McMasters. I mean, all these people who have served Trump, who basically ran out of the room screaming because they thought he was doing something wrong and or illegal, often sat on that information, did not provide it to voters for the 2020 election. And, you know, didn't do anything at the time when it was perhaps most called for in this instance. If there's corruption in the Justice Department at the highest levels and you're a U.S. attorney, I agree with you, Michael. You have an obligation to blow the whistle on that. You may not do it publicly. You may do go to the IG's office. There are a lot of different ways to do this. But, you know, just saying that I, I resisted the corruption is not strong enough. Yeah, it's, it's only strong enough when at the end of the day, right, you know, you're trying to find your way back into polite society. Meanwhile, I'll tell you another thing, and I'm pretty sure that I'm right about this. Um, remember there was a magazine called George? Oh, yeah. It was started by John F. Kennedy Jr. and so yeah, on. Yeah, I knew. I knew. You know who, you know who, do you know who the co-founder of that magazine was? Remind me. Michael J. Berman. Sound familiar? Yeah. I believe he's the brother of Jeffrey Berman. You know who ended up buying out all the debt of um, the, the magazine George and so on? David Pecker and the National Enquirer. All right. Anybody know about that? Anybody know about the relationship that Jeffrey Berman, um, you know, had via his brother, whether it means anything or not? Was that disclosed? Of course not. Why? Because he's corrupt. And what he's doing now by playing this game and writing this book and trying to exonerate himself, just like this fat fuck Bill Barr is constantly doing, right? Sitting there, oh, 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 uh, you know, I told Donald you lost the election. Yeah, 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 you're full of shit, Donald, and so on. Thinking that all of a sudden he's welcomed back into polite society, that people shouldn't spit on him when he's eating out at a restaurant. And so they should. Because Bill Barr, to me, and I always refer to him, he's like 
the Himmler to Adolf Hitler. All of a sudden, Hitler's now dead. Himmler turns around and says, whoa, 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 not me, not me. I told them what you're doing was wrong. Bullshit. He was involved in every single aspect of Trump's corruption, including an unconstitutional remand of me back to prison because I tried to publish my book, Disloyal, and they didn't want it. I mean, that's just a fact. And yet government still continues. This Allison Rovner and government and Haba representing Trump because they're on different sides of the table. They're all fighting it with motions to dismiss. Dismiss what? The just it's off of the Alvin K. Hellerstein, Judge Hellerstein decision that it was retaliatory. How about somebody else own their own dirty deeds? And that's why. We have the problems right now that we're having, whether it's with Judge Cannon, whether it's with Trump, people believing that this guy is the Teflon Don, that there will not be indictments and so on, which brings me to my next question for you, because I have my own ideas. I Listen, I have a lot of ideas and a lot of opinions about this, but in a recent Mother Jones article, you outlined some of your theories about why Trump took all the documents and, of course, didn't return them. At this point, What's your best guess as to why? Yeah, I mean, you know, on Twitter, you know, people are saying, you know, that he took them to sell them and things like that. I don't think that's the case. I think he took them because he saw possible use for them in the future. You know, maybe something involving, say, Saudi Arabia would be useful with Jared Kushner getting $2 billion in Saudi money for his private equity firm. Um, I think he may have just thought that part of it was like neat. It, his letters, his love, love letter, letter, letters to um, um, Kim of North Dakota, oh, North Dakota, to Kim of North Korea. Um, but I also think, I, I wonder, this is what sort of what I wondered most about, if any of these documents show conversations and decisions or actions that he took that he doesn't want the public to know about conversation with Putin or somebody else. Um, I can see, you know, cause we know that they hid documents from some of, of this nature. They filed them in places that they weren't usually filed. They want to keep them even from government officials who had the right to look at such documents. Uh, we know that he hid things. So um, I'm wondering if, Part of this, I don't think it applies to all 11,000 documents, um, are just like, here are things that you know he wants to keep covered up and believing that these may be the only copies of these records or if he has the copy that he has, if he hangs onto it, it won't circulate as much. I don't know. that that, that I mean, that's part of this that I, I have. That's one explanation here that I've seen not get as much attention as we all try to figure out what it is he did. And so, why. you know, I was one of the first that jumped out and I said, knowing Donald as I know him, Donald is holding on to these documents, believing that they provide him with power. Yeah. Whether it's power over our own country to basically extort the government in the event that he does get indicted and he's looking at incarceration or some form of incarceration. Turn around, hold up paper and say, I have nuclear codes. I have nuclear documents that if Mm. I am indicted and incarcerated, I have loyal supporters that are already advised 
to send them to North Korea, Russia, China, uh, Iran, whoever, our, right, our adversaries. And if you want to burn down America because you hate me, that's your prerogative. And that's why I believe he also had these documents, these nuclear documents on this foreign country. Now, here's where Trump is destroying this country, destroying it. And these maggots that constantly, you know, back him up and give him, you know, uh, additional oxygen to breathe. It's so infuriating. What bothers me the most about these fools is that you're allowing national security, the safety of America, 350 million Americans, simply in order to protect one man. I mean, do we have to have another, God forbid, 9-11 event because of these documents, because of what may have already been given out? But this is for him all about power, being able to extort that foreign country. And where they're killing the country goes into the fact that Look at what you and I are doing right here on my podcast, where we're throwing out hypotheticals of what these documents were, what these documents were intended to be used for. That's not what's supposed to happen. That's why you have the Presidential Records Act. That's why you have the National Archives. No president before him has ever been so brazen and done this before. That's the big problem. So what if I say to you, David, that I believe, again, it's my, it's my opinion, that it's Israel and their nuclear information, considering the United States and Israel work together on so much, on so much stuff, and that, like what you said, they have provided this information to Saudi Arabia. For what? Well, I don't know, in exchange for the two plus billion dollars that Mohammed bin Salman gave to the most incapable human being on the planet to run the money. Not my statements. Those are statements by Saudi Arabia Investment Authority. They gave it to Jared Kushner, who has been known in the real estate world, at least here in New York, as making the worst real estate decisions in New York City's history. So I don't know. Am I right about that? Am I wrong? I don't know. You'll never know. But what Trump and his people have done is they've put these hypotheticals out there and it's making America crazy. It's making us all nuts. Well, um, maybe that's why I titled my latest book, American Psychosis, Um, because good name, strong name. Yes. I mean, they're, they're, you know, I mean, the premise of that is that there has been a political psychosis that has descended upon the nation that that Trump did not create on his own that's been there for you know in different manifestations for for decades but that he you know has sort of taken this republican tradition of exploiting and encouraging extremism and that includes uh, not just bigotry and, and 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 nativism but paranoia and conspiracy theory and he is just, you know, you know, which has always been part of the American public life and American politics. But he has made paranoia and conspiracy theory in service of grievance and resentment, I think, the center point of his political project. And it was before the 2020 election and certainly after the 2020 election by claiming without any evidence 
that the election was stolen from him and it involved the Chinese, the Venezuelans, the CIA, the Democrats, the media, two people moving boxes under a table in Atlanta, and now 2,000 mules, according to Nesh D'Souza, who d- that don't exist. I mean, he has been out there um, playing on people's fears, exploiting paranoia, and it's you know it's a long Republican tradition. He's just done it better than anybody else. And so now he's created this environment that whenever anything happens, particularly when he does anything wrong, it falls into this narrative of his that the deep state's after him, you can't trust anybody, and that he's the only person who should rule, which is authoritarianism. Um, it's been a long time coming. Uh, as I argue in the book, that you know Republicans have long done this, but he has just done it to such an extreme, and in some ways it has broken our political system. Yes, and the way that you describe American psychosis, uh, I just thought was fascinating where you state it covers the last seven decades, from McCarthyism to the John Birch Society to segregationists. I want my listeners to listen to this, right? Seven decades from McCarthyism to the John Birch Society, to segregationists, to the new right, to the religious right, to Rush Limbaugh, to Newt Gingrich, to the militia movement, to Fox News, to Sarah Palin, to the Tea Party, to Trumpism. The Republican Party has deliberately nurtured and exploited right-wing fear and loathing fueled by paranoia, grievance, and tribalism. That's exactly what Donald Trump does. He plays on what he refers to as popularism, right? And I don't know why he does it. It makes no sense. He could have been, just as Joe Biden or any other of the presidents, he could have been a great president. Instead, he went to Wackoville instead of doing things that he knew could benefit the country. Instead of starting off like we discussed for years, for years, like over two years, the first bill that you should introduce should be the um, infrastructure bill because the United States' infrastructure is falling apart. And every time he would go out of the country, he would always comment how much better other countries' infrastructure is than ours. Instead, he comes up with a Muslim ban. I mean, that's the difference. What he did is exactly what you talk about. And um, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. So let's talk about a potential Trump indictment. If Trump is indicted, and of course, it's anybody's guess that'll happen, you know, he's out there really getting his base worked up into a rage, going back to tribalism. It feels like anything can happen. And we know what the MAGA movement is capable of, right? We know what they're capable of. And it's not good. You think they really want a civil war? Or do you think that it's just some bullshit tough talk? Like when these texting tough guys send you all these really horrific, you know, texts and emails. You know, you look at these rallies that he has and you, you know, talk to people who are there, listen to interviews with them. And, you know, I don't want to be condescending, but they don't seem to be, many of them, incredibly bright uh, they believe wacko theories, and would they, you know, rise up violently? Are they able to coalesce into a fighting force of some sort? Should Trump be indicted? Um, I think that's an open question. Certainly, we saw on January sixth an explosion of violence, and we saw the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, 
as sort of the vanguard um, you know, of, of a violent action. And there are plenty of people out there like that. Um, if the capital had been better prepared and people realized this was happening, it probably wouldn't have gone this far. And those ragtag groups of people would not have been able to have the impact that they that they wanted to. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I worry, you know, if you go back to the Oklahoma City bombing, if you look at, you know, 9-11, it, it doesn't take a lot of people to do something really big and bad that can hurt a lot of other people, right? You don't need, you know, we're not talking about raising armies to occupy cities. And, you know, as we saw in our civil war in the 1860s. So the, the violence I worry about more is the, you know, smaller band of extremists who Trump is inflaming every time he speaks. Every, you know, when you say they're taking the country, you call Joe Biden an enemy of the state. What do you do with enemies of the state? What do you do with people who are destroying the country? I mean, in the 20, I don't think this got enough attention. I don't know. According according to what they decided, they built a gallow and they were yeah. ready to hang Mike Pence. Exactly. And you know, I don't think, you know, Trump's 2020 campaign gets enough attention because it was so eclipsed by the craziness and his attempt to overturn the election after the election. But his campaign, he was out there literally saying that Joe Biden was working with far-left fascism, which that's his term. You know, he was using the F word that, that involved Antifa, the radical left, the media, the Democrats, um, anarchists, and Black Lives Matter people who wanted to come in and destroy America's suburbs. Basically, they're going to come in and get all the white people. And they were going to bring in Latino you know, thugs to help them do this. So he was basically campaigning on with Biden, you're going to get race war and they're going to come in for you white people. And if you believe that, if you listen to Trump and you believe that, what are you supposed to do? Well, you arm yourself and you get ready. And if you think they're about to get you, you try to get them first. And I'm not saying this is going to happen in terms of gigantic militias, but there are enough people out there with access to weapons of their own and in small groups or by themselves who could do tremendous harm. We saw, you know, the bomber who tried to blow up George Soros and the Obamas. We've seen, you know, mass shooters who have followed some of the Trump ideology, not all the time. It's not always directly connected. And we saw it happen on January 6th. So I do believe whether or not there's going to be, you know, troops assembled for a civil war that continuing down this road, you know, continuing to push QAnon crap is going to lead to more violence. So I have two questions off of this. The first is you mentioned the Oath Keepers. Now, um, on Wednesday, a list of the Oath Keepers membership was published. It just put out there. And it's hard to prove membership in the Oath Keepers, but do you think it's possible that as a result of this list being published that you can keep some of these people, one of them, any of them, all of them from running for office? I, you know, I don't know. I, I would think that people's participation in January 6th would be enough to keep some from running from office, but we have 
Doug Mastriani running for governor in Pennsylvania, and you have others who have gotten the Republican nomination and have a shot of winning. Um, I mean, the election laws are what they are. I mean, there's a, something in the you know the Constitution about nine people um, who committed sedition against the United States without fully defining it. You know, it may be hard to implement. It's a nice idea. I mean, I think ultimately this has to be a political war, a political civil war, where enough of the sane majority, you know, get out there, get involved, and isolate, segregate, not physically, segregate politically, the the crazies, the Trump crazies, the people who are, you know, who support the move towards authoritarianism. And that But David, know, I, I ask you that question simply because we did just see it happen. It right? did happen. Guy, I, I think it's Coy, yeah, Coy Griffin, or if that's how you pronounce his name, I don't know, nor do I care, right? But they found he's some Otero County commissioner. Um, he was there at the insurrection. Um, they removed him from office. Uh, you know, federal judge there, I think in New Mexico, wherever the heck it's at. Uh, they made the determination that um, he's convicted and it's a felony and it has to do with um, right. that sort of uh, old rule of law in regard to um, trying to overthrow the government uh, or, you know, a, a state or something. And um, he's now, you know, removed from from his position. Yeah. But the yeah. second question that well, I, I, I would just say, you, since this just happened, I, I'd like to see if it gets appealed and what the decisions are at that point, if, if it happens. Interesting yes. point. Right. Okay. The second is, of course, and you brought him up, is the press. Um, does the mainstream press have any power to get through to Trump's base anymore? No. Or do you think it's just basically no. it's gone, right? No, no. I, 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 you know, this is partly, you know, when I talk about the book, um, and this is one of my conclusions, that the base is just so far gone. You know, they're so into, you know, the Trump alternative bizarro reality that, you know, whatever's reported about him, about Mar-a-Lago, um, just doesn't matter. It doesn't register. They have their own media. It's, you know, Trump has been very effective in, you know, assailing fake news and creating that as a key component of this, you know, American psychosis that, you know, you can't get through to them. And that's why I say, Energy and time should not be devoted to persuading them, but to isolating them and getting people who don't believe this stuff already to make sure they clearly see the threat. And they may not be paying attention. They may not engage them. And that's where I think your the margin is. Rather than trying to prove something about Trump or other Republicans that's going to change the minds of the people who believe the election was stolen, believe Barack Obama wasn't born here, believe Democrats are working with Antifa to destroy the suburbs. Yep, and eating children to stay alive longer right. and the whole QAnon nonsense. So let me ask you this then, because obviously one of the things that we're seeing now, and every day it's like a slow drip of it, is that mainstream media is really having a moment of reckoning in the fact that because of them, they actually helped Trump become president. The yeah. ongoing constant coverage, whatever the news was, they just ran with it. You and I have had our conversations about this. Is there any sort of soul searching going on now? And let me ask you from a personal standpoint, what are you doing different today in your journalistic reporting 
that is different than you have done in the past simply because of this lunatic Trump and the way that he has manipulated the, you know, the media in order, you know, to benefit himself at the expense of others. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm tweeting more. I'm just joking there. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, Not on yeah, truth social. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Not on truth social. I mean, I did, you know, I, I did, you know, write this book so that I and others could have a better understanding of how we reached this point because to understand the depths of, of the problem helps you figure out what a possible solution might be. I think the, you know, the, the press, you know, in general, it's hard to talk about the media in a one big lump because it's just made up of so many different ent- entities and people. I don't think there's been a true full reckoning of how the media covered Donald Trump in, in 2016 and afterwards. But I do think there is a general sort of consideration of how does a free press cover somebody who is threatening democracy and thus threatening a free press. I mean, you can't be like one side says this and one side says that and let, you know, everybody sort it out. If there is a move towards authoritarianism, um, I think, you know, that sort of transcends, or at least in my mind, transcends the usual Democrats say this, Republicans say that, let's just make sure we report it, you know, fairly. And I do think you need to have just more focus on, you know, what's being done to erode the the democratic protections we have in the vote system and elsewhere. And I, I, I do think that mainstream outlets, although they don't get everything right all the time and, you know, neither probably do I, although I think I do, um, you know, are trying to figure out how how to report on the threat to democracy uh, with more urgency and impact than they had had thought about this before. I mean, a lot there's been a lot of great reporting on January sixth, and you know, good reporting on the January sixth you know committee. Um, certainly, CNN and MSNBC have given it long hours of coverage, and I think the other you know you know. Big press and the network news. No, no, cost. Of course, Fox doesn't do this. I think the whole point here is to really, again, not to persuade the the MAGA people, but to pr- make sure that people who are not in that cohort, which is the majority, understand viscerally what's at stake here. Yeah, you know, listen. I ask that question simply because I myself have seen a switch. Uh, in mainstream media, the coverage of the bullshit that comes out of the Trump inner circle and so on. Whereas earlier on, they would pick it up and they would run with it, knowing not or not even caring whether it was true or not, but rather they were doing it simply because it was creating eyeballs and eyeballs create ad dollars. Yeah. And it was really, and I talk about this in my book, Revenge, that a lot of the stuff that happened is the direct result of the media's coverage and the big companies need for profit so that they can keep their shareholders, you know, happy. And I think that a lot of that is changing now. I think that, um, you know, not on Truth Social, because that's one big giant, you know, fucking lie, you know, and the same with even Fox News is making changes, not Newsmax or OAN, but mm. I see Fox even now making changes. But I want to ask you this regarding Joe Biden, because he's had a remarkable month or two. His numbers are up and he's, you know, he's getting things done. 
Tell me what you think of his performance so far. I mean, look, Obama came to the White House. It was very, very touching to see something that I couldn't believe that Trump wouldn't invite Obama, uh, Barack and Michelle back to the White House and put up their their portraits. That's just a tradition that's been going on now for decades. Um, You think that Joe is finally finding his footing? What's your take on that? You know. I think that the speech he gave the you know the other day when he talked about the MAGA wing of the party lurching towards semi-fascism was really an important moment for him. I do believe, you know, I, I don't know him too well. I've met him a few times and know members of his family, but I certainly have watched him for decades. I, I do believe he believed when he campaigned that he could bring the country together, that he, you know, saw places dealing with COVID infrastructure, where there was a great uh, opportunity for bipartisanship, and that he saw other places, at least the opportunity for good bipartisan debates, not obstructionism, but debates that could lead even to compromise. Um, I think he really believed that he had the power to do that. And I and and I think he tried to use that to get through, uh, you know, the infrastructure bill and, and the American Rescue Act, and some of the initial rounds of legislation that, that he that he did. Um, but then, you know, he realized that ultimately the system is broke and he himself cannot fix it. Unlike Donald Trump, who said, I alone can fix it, I, you know, which is not true. But I think Biden's come to realize that he alone cannot fix this system and that there are some and that the Republicans have created with Trumpism some institutional impediments and blockages that are not going away and that do threaten the American project. And that I I agree with you. And, and I so, agree and, with you wholeheartedly. And so he has to try to figure out now, because he still believes he's the president of all Americans. And I, I I had a conversation once with Barack Obama when he was president about that very same idea, who would say, quite frankly, you know, I know a lot of people didn't vote for me. I know a lot of people don't like what I'm doing. I know there are some Americans out there who hate me, but I see this job as being the president for all of them, even the people who hate me. And I got to think of their interests and the best interests of as many Americans as I can as I move forward, which is, I don't think, uh, a thought that ever crossed uh, Donald Trump's mind. But so, so, I, so I do believe that you know Biden sees it that way too, but he also sees this threat. So I'm I'm I I was heartened by his ability to try to address both those themes and to and to say we got a real problem here, but I still would like to work with people, and I think that was the right tone to set. I know you know it triggered a lot of other people, a lot of people on the right, but it was um, it was accurate and coupling it with you know wins on you know legislative wins with his advocacy for women's rights in the face of the Dobbs decision i think you know all this has obviously you know put some wind in his sails and the question for the political question for the next 2 months or less now is can he keep this up you know you know you know what you know is is there something to be done to you know keep inflation from getting you know from getting too much out of control you know, and can sort of sell the democratic project in the face of these headwinds that are historical about the you know about the party being in power, losing 
seats in the midterm election. What more should the Democrats be doing to win in November? Because President Biden's speech, right, renouncing MAGA extremists and Trump, it was rough, but at least it was honest. Yes. Do you think that that set the tone for the midterms, right? And was that speech the sort of strong messaging that Democrats need now? I, I, I think, you know, the obvious message for Democrats has to have two sides to it, maybe three sides. One is, look at what we've done. You know, look at what we've done with the American Rescue Act, with the infrastructure bill, with the recent bills to lower, you know, recent legislation to address climate change and lower prescription drug prices. Look at, you know, extend, you know, healthcare benefits for some who need it. Look at what we've done. Um, here's what we'd like to do that the Demo that the Republicans are blocking. The reason why you don't have Medicare that covers dental is because of Republicans. We wanted to push it forward. They say no. We you know we wanted to have universal pre-K. We wanted to have paid family leave. Do you know have a hard time getting off work when someone's sick at your house? Well, we want to do something about this. The only reason this doesn't happen now that we have a Democrat in the White House is because of Republicans. And so I think they have to really be very clear. It's finger pointing. It, it is, but it's delineating. And then the third aspect of of this messaging is. Look at the threat. If Republicans come in, look at the threat. They'll do they'll do whatever they threaten democracy. They'll do whatever Trump wants. Do you want Congress doing 37 Hunter Biden investigations rather than figuring out how to help you with your medical needs and your education needs and take care of your elderly or get funding for, for Alzheimer's research? Do you want us doing that? Or do you want us running around in circles as they subpoena Merrick Garland? And um, and as I say, have a, a, you know, a gazillion investigations of Hunter Biden and everybody else. So those are the options, you know, and I think, you know, it's a even in the face of inflation, I think it's a strong argument to make, but you got to make it strongly. Right. That's yeah. you, know, you got to kick some teeth with this. And one of the things that I constantly talk about is the Democratic um, parties you know, failure to get the proper messaging out. And I think they should probably listen to the last couple of words that just came out of your mouth, because <laughs> that's exactly what I've been saying that Jamie Harrison and the Democratic Party need to do. They need to start putting on the steel tip boots and kicking these Republicans like the Jim Jordans, like the Matt Gateses, like the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Josh Hawley's, the Donald Trump's. We have to start kicking them in the teeth with these steel tip boots and demonstrate to the American people that it's actually the Democrats that are working to do right for everyone. You know, and if look, if down the road, Hunter Biden becomes the subject of a investigation, fuck it. OK, no problem. If he's guilty of doing something, he too yeah. should be held accountable. No different than Donald. So, look, we can sit and talk about all of this nonsense just, you know, forever and ever. But. I do believe that Trump is going to get indicted, and I believe that he'll be indicted soon in regard to this um, uh, to these documents that were taken from Mar-a-Lago. Uh, it's my it's my opinion. Uh, I know a lot of people are anxious to see it happen. I do believe it is going to happen. I believe the Teflon Don's nine lives have run out, and uh, let's just cross our fingers. And again, congrats on uh, the soon to be released book, American Psychosis. I certainly recommend all of my listeners, you know, to go pick it up.
Uh, it's going to be a fascinating read. I know I'll be reading it. And then I'll have you back on to talk about it. How's that? That sounds great. So I'll, um, you know, I'm very curious what you think about the book. There's, there's a lot there that it's really relevant today. And it, it even surprises me because I didn't expect that to be the case. Well, you got to thank Donald for that. Send him a free book and possibly <laughs> Bannon in prison. Send him a free book too. David, always good to see you, my friend. And I will be speaking with you very, very soon. Okay. Be well, David. Bye. And now for today's mea culpa. It's just two months before the midterms, and it's on all of us to get out the vote or suffer the consequences. The Republicans as a party are not fit to lead. Oh, sure, there are a few good ones, but Adam Kinzinger isn't running again, and Liz Cheney may have her sights set on the presidency, but her party won't get behind her. She loves war and big oil. She's anti-abortion, anti-voting rights, all the stuff they love, but she ratted out Trump and then they kicked her off the train. They won't support her run for the presidency either, which is fucking stupid considering her values haven't changed. She's still an arch-conservative, but Miss Cheney is country over party, and that just doesn't work for Republicans anymore. If they were all to get behind Liz, we on the other side would be in serious trouble. I mean, she just might be able to beat Joe Biden. And she doesn't have Trump's baggage. No lawsuits, no impeachments, no rape charges, no espionage. She's not a criminal. And it's because she's not a criminal that her party has ditched her. She won't kiss the ring. And being a mob boss, Trump demands absolute loyalty. Rest assured, this I know. And with the full 75% of the party still behind him, you kiss the ring or get the fuck out. The GOP knows they have a problem, but they won't quit him. Instead, they'll cheat like hell. That's what criminals do. Purge voter rolls, screw around with the post office, close polling stations. You know the drill, folks. If they lose an election, maybe the Secretary of State won't certify it. Recounts and lawsuits and recounts and lawsuits, that's what they want. Corrupt judges with lifetime appointments, they'll just keep fucking the system until we all cry uncle, and then they can afford to do it. The MAGA dark money pool is deep, like in the trillions deep. And it's that MAGA money that's infected the GOP and effectively turned them into criminal organization. Fascists, criminals, tomato, tomato, it's all the same fucking thing, and it's not good for the democracy. I read this, and it stuck with me. The Republican Party is a minority party. Therefore, democracy is an existential threat to them. So, for them to exist, they have to become an existential threat to democracy. Now, if that doesn't scare the fucking shit out of you, I don't know what will. But we are not giving up, not even close. We, the Democrats, are the majority. And as long as we still have the vote, we will use it. So over the next two months heading into the midterms, I'll be featuring different candidates in various races across the country. Our mayor culpa community will go into this pivotal election season well-informed and ready to vote. And to quote Stacey Adams, the fight to defend the right to vote begins with understanding where we've been and knowing where we are now. Let's get ready for that fight together, folks. And thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. 
Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. <laughs>